So glad you chose to join us for worship today. And uh, if you're new to us, my name is Dave. I get the privilege of being the primary teaching pastor. And as has already been mentioned, that um, we are working through a series called Rediscovering Love. And uh, this is not a series only for those who are in romantic relationships. Uh, It's a series for all of us who um, are made in the image of God because we crave relationship, whether it's friendships, whether we happen to be in a marriage relationship. uh, There are life lessons here for all of us, principles we can apply to our own lives. And um, so if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the two-way street of love and respect. Um, We crave love. I hope you're feeling loved these days. Um, because that's the truth. You are loved. And, uh, and sometimes our circumstances or life situations can kind of get in the way of our feeling loved. But the truth is that you are loved. That's the bedrock reality about your identity and your experience, that you are loved by God. In fact, nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. Nothing. doesn't matter how hard the circumstances or life situations are, and they can be hard, Right? Um, Life delivers some curveballs, some surprises along the way. Things can just be challenging, but it never changes the reality that we are loved. And uh, so this this is the good news. We crave relationship, we crave love and respect, right? We all want to be esteemed and valued. And uh, so we talked about the two-way street of love and respect. And then last week, we talked about the uh, four horsemen of the relational apocalypse, And um, there are some threats to every relationship. They weren't new to us. Dr. John and Julie Gottman helped us with those. Uh, But those life principles are very, very helpful. And uh, it's not a doomsday talk. If you want to go back and check it out on YouTube, you can. It's just a kind of reminder for us of some of the yellow flashing lights that can keep us out of the ditches of, of, uh, of our relational troubles and challenges along the way. So this morning, we're going to talk about this whole idea of Eden, temple, and strengthening our relationships. And you probably wonder, where on earth are we going with that? So uh, stay tuned. You will find out. Uh, this is the first week of Lent that we've come through. It's not too late to subscribe to a reading plan. You can head over to kingstreet.org, or you can go to Instagram, our Instagram account, and find the link in the bio. We'd love to have you join us as we read scripture every day, and that uh, can be very, very helpful for us on our journey of faith. For some of you who have the Version Bible app, you know the value that's there, right, when it comes to devotional reading plans, etc. We also have our digital notes for our weekly teaching on the uh, Version Bible um, app as well. So do you want to open that app for just a moment? Because this might be very helpful for some of you, not just in real time in the moment, but after the teaching is over, you can follow up next week. If you want to find our digital notes, you just open up your app, and uh, on the far right-hand side, you will see, I'm going to open mine up with you, on the far right-hand side, you'll see more. Do you see more? Click on more. Once you click on more, you'll see events about halfway down. If you click on events, it'll open up to King Street Community Church. Click on that, and all our digital notes for the teaching will be there. Is that not cool or what? I think it's cool anyway. Um, So that's there for you. The temptation when you have your phone open with digital notes, though, is a lot of things can happen on that phone, can't they? I know. Um, But it's there for you, and hopefully it it adds value and and helps you along the way. 
All right, so if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to recite our passage to ponder. If you're watching online, uh, don't be afraid to hear your own voice too, wherever you may be watching uh, this morning. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine to 12. Can you please read so that your neighbor can hear your beautiful voice? All right, here we go. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Yeah, a cord of three strands is not quickly or easily um, broken. And uh, there is this uh, intertwined aspect to when we allow um, God to wrap himself, so to speak, around us, whether that be in our friendships or in our marriage relationships, there is a strength that comes when we acknowledge God's presence, when we say yes to his ways, and when we invite him into our relationship. I'm a big believer that the Christian faith was never intended to be a celebration that happens on a certain day of the week at a certain time of day in a certain building. Though this is a wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate, tell the story of the gospel, um, to encourage one another, to hopefully hear helpful teaching, to be in the presence of God, there's something incredibly life-giving about that. Uh, But the truth is that our faith is intended to be integrated into every aspect of our waking days. And, uh, And so whether it be at work or whether it be at school or whether it be in our relationships or on the sports field, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves, our faith is supposed to be integrated. So we're going to talk today about this idea of Eden, temple, and strengthening our relationship. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to do kind of like a, um, we're going to go back in order to go forward, and we're going to take a look at a very important kind of 30,000-foot survey of the beginning and uh, Israel's temple worship, and then we will um, talk not just about the glory of Eden and the temple, but we'll talk about how we are intended to share that glory, to be dispensers wherever we go, and I would say especially in our relationships. Okay, so um, let's get started. I'm going to kind of hang around here in some Older Testament passages for a bit, but some of you have the digital notes, and you won't be surprised at what's coming next. All right, so humans were made by a tremendously good God. And I mean tremendously good. Uh, We were made in his image and in his likeness, and we were made, this is huge, we were made to flourish. We were made to flourish. In fact, when we fail to flourish, it is the most tragic thing about our lives because we were made by God for God. God is love. We were made by love for love. When we are flourishing, we are bringing a smile to God's face. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, many of you know this passage. Then God said, let us, a little picture into the plurality within the Godhead. One God, three persons. Let us make mankind in our image. 
We were made in the image and likeness of God who is a relationship, right? At the center of the universe is a God who is a relationship. We were made in his image and his likeness. That's why we crave relationships so badly. In our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female He created them. This is back to our very first teaching, the reason why respect is so important. Whenever we give appropriate dignity and respect to another image bearer, to another human, we are actually recognizing the innate value of God or the spark of the divine, so to speak, that is in every human person. And that's why when we take a human life, it's so tragic because there are no two humans who are identical. There may be twins in the world, but we're not identical. Uh, We are unique creatures. There is a certain facet of you that reflects in a very unique way the beautiful image of God. And so that's why we are, again, worthy of respect. So God makes the first man, the first woman, in his image, in his likeness, to flourish. And then God plants a garden. And it's a place of abundance. In Genesis chapter 2, it's a place of beauty and goodness. Remember those two words. It's a place of beauty and goodness. In fact, the word or the name Eden means delight. God places the first man and the first woman in the garden of Eden. It is a place of beautiful delight where God's goodness and beauty is like all over the place. Isaiah talks about a time when God will restore all things. And he says, the glory of God will be like the waters covering the sea. It's kind of like, well, they're, almost, they're inseparable. How can the waters cover the sea? The presence, the glory, the beauty, the goodness of God is all over Eden. It's a wonderful place of delight. Genesis 2.8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. So consistent with our design, we're going back in order to go forward. For us to flourish, there has to be a few things happening. One is that we are experiencing strong, unbroken connection with God. That's the Eden story. The first man, the first woman, knew unbroken fellowship, companionship with the one true God. For us to flourish, we also have to responsibly manage God's good creation, which means that we are not consuming unnecessarily, We are not destroying the planet. We are looking after that which belongs to God. For us as a human family to flourish, we are connected to God. We're not creating walls between us and the divine. We are recognizing that our environment matters because it's the Father's world. And then we also recognize that there is a place of deep connection where we connect with at least one other human person. God makes the first man, and he says it's not good that he be alone, so he made a helper suitable for him. Along comes Eve, and together they are enjoying the beautiful delight of God, the glory and the beauty, the goodness of God all over Eden. They are flourishing. And so when we cut ourselves off from God, when we destroy the world around us, and when we fail to connect with at least one other human person, we fail to flourish. So... I do believe this. It came to me this week for some reason. There's this really um, strange way of thinking about reunion on the other side. Um, We have a longing, every person in this room today, every person on the planet, we have a longing for home, a reunion of sorts that we've never fully known. 
There is a sense in which those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus have a relationship with God. There's a sense in which we know him, but we have never really known him the way we one day will. And so when we breathe our last, this side of heaven, there will be a reunion of sorts. Even though there will be a reunion um, in a sense that we've never really known. When we go back to a high school reunion, there's a sense in which we're reconnecting. But this beautiful, glorious experience where the goodness of God is completely seen for who he is, it will be a reunion of sorts that we've never fully known. Uh, One of the early saints, Teresa of Avilia, she believed the human heart was intended to be the garden of the Lord. The Eden tabernacle is what she says. The heart of the human person was intended to be a place of great delight with God a place where the goodness and the beauty of God is all over the place. We were intended to be what she calls the Eden tabernacle. We are the garden of the Lord. She was um, in stride with the prophet Isaiah who wrote these words. He says in Isaiah 58 verse 11, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That's the prophetic word spoken over the people of God. You will be like a well-watered garden. Um, the glory of God is a very important idea in the Older Testament and in the New Testament. It's one of those words that we have a really hard time getting our mind around. There's an intangibility about the glory of God. I don't know how you would go about explaining that word to someone. If you're in the presence of the glory of God, what would you describe it as being? How would you kind of bring the simplistic explanation to that word to somebody who's perhaps an outsider who doesn't understand. The best way that I can take that which is otherworldly and bring it to us right here, right now, is to understand these two words, the goodness and the beauty of God. When you experience the glory of God, you experience the goodness and the beauty of God. This is what Moses asks for, right? He says, I want to see your glory, In Exodus uh, 33, uh, verse 19, God responds and says, my goodness will pass by you, but you can't see my face, he says. So God himself says the glory of God is related to his goodness, the full pronouncement of the goodness of God. When we are experiencing and tasting the goodness of God and his beauty, we are experiencing the glory of God. Um, Now, the glory of God is also in the Older Testament, especially accompanied by some signs and wonders, some supernatural phenomena. Let me take you to a couple of passages. Exodus 40, verse 34. We're going somewhere with this, by the way, because we're going to get around to talking about relationships in just a moment. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord, the beauty and the goodness of God, filled the tabernacle. It was a cloud that came in, an otherworldly um, experience. There was a sign, there was a wonder, there was a phenomena. And then in the, the temple, in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Love that. There's this otherworldly experience. There's a phenomena you can't miss. Even the priests say, we're going to have to take a break. (laughs) We can't fulfill our priestly duties because the intangible became tangible. 
And the glory and the beauty of God filled the tabernacle, filled the temple. And so we have Eden and we have the temple. And we're gonna talk about strengthening our relationships in just a moment. So in the New Testament, here's what we have happen. Uh, We become the temple. We are the resting place of God. We are the tabernacle, right? First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves, plural as the people of God, are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? We are more than just people on a planet. Those of us who've put our saving faith in Jesus, the intangible becomes incredibly potent in our hearts and lives. We become occupiers of the spirit. Paul would write it this way. We have this treasure, the spirit of God, in these jars of clay or these tents that one day will be dismantled. These bodies won't last forever this side of heaven, but there is something absolutely beautiful. It's the glory of God intended to reside in each and every one of us. Second Corinthians 6, verse 16, for we are the temple of the living God. Now, um, Jesus himself, John would write this in uh, John's Gospel, chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. So when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. Why all this talk about the glory of God, the beauty and the goodness today? You're supposed to be helping me with my marriage, Pastor. Helping me with my relationships, my friendships. I want to get along with people better. Why are we talking about stuff that happens in the tabernacle, the temple, way back in the Garden of Eden, this place of delight? Well, those of us, again, who have elevated the Lord Jesus in our hearts, we recognize we need saving. We've chosen to follow him, to make him the leader of our lives. We have been given the spirit of God. The glory of God, the beauty and the goodness of God has come to take up residence within us. And then out of that overflow, we make our way in the world, containers of God's glory. Now, don't you think that if you and I are inhabited by the glory of God, that there should be an overflow out of our lives, making our relationships that much richer that much more beautiful, that much more good. The Eden delight, temple, and strengthening our relationships. Before we get working on our relational interactions with one another, though there's a very important place for that, I'm inviting us during this teaching to step back and to say, I am a very important part of the relational health that I'm experiencing in the world. So if I am living with the glory of God and not getting any, no diminishing factors within me that prevents the glory of God, then probably my relationships will get a head start. Are there skills to learn? 100%. Are there things for me to navigate? Yep. Will there be landmines along the way? Of course. Two different people, two different backgrounds, trying to figure out how to make life work together. Those who are in marriage relationships... Even friendships present all sorts of challenges along the way. But what a head start we have when we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. He is our counselor. He is our teacher. He is our guide. He's the one who comes and brings all the beauty and the goodness of God with him. So Eden is a wonderful place of delight. The temple, now, the temple. 
was intended to be a place. If you're a Jewish worshiper and you went to the tabernacle or you went to the temple, you would encounter a seven-branch lampstand known as a menorah. And it was shaped that way so that it reminded them of the trees of Eden. You would see palm trees carved into the walls. You would see pomegranates designed on the top of the columns. You would see um, all sorts of animals that were depicted in the temple because it was intended to be a very important sacred locale where, yes, Eden God is all over the place like the waters cover the sea, the glory of God. And then you go into this sacred place of worship and there were uh, seraphim that were, or cherubim that were protecting and guarding the most holy place, even over the mercy seat. And they were banished, the first man and the first woman. So all these pictures, this beautiful picture of Eden and the tabernacle and the temple are closely associated. And then what's absolutely mind-boggling, as I've already mentioned, then we as the people of God are intended to be inhabitants of the glory, the beautiful, glorious, life-giving presence of God. I could stop right there because that's just awesome stuff. And um, so, so now what we're going to do, though, is we're going to say, all right, in light of that, where do we go from here? So I've got two points today. Briefer sermon. Whenever there's two points, it's briefer. You know that's not true, but it just means there's two points rather than three. That's all it really means. But. All right, movement number one, and this will be brief. Movement number one. These are in your notes. What does the lost Eden glory teach us about human flourishing and healthy relationships? This will feel like a bit of a repeat because of what I've already shared, and I'll be brief. Here's what it is. Instead of living independently, trust and obey God. Instead of living independently, that's what we learned from Eden. We can live independently. God gives us a circle of freedom, and he invites us to involve him. We don't have to do that. God is a tremendous gentleman. He will honor your free will. He invites you. That's the language of the spirit often. Come, right? Very invitational, but he will respect your freedom. This is why those who miss heaven, God honors them. If they don't want to be with him in this life, he honors their choice in the next. God always provides a beautiful invitation. Um, And so we choose to live dependent on God, not independent of God. And that means trust and obey. Isn't trust a hard thing sometimes? Trust can be incredibly difficult. We want to figure things out. We want to solve problems and we want to do it our way. And we know how that should work out. I was listening to someone this week. Um, she's from uh, um, Duke University Divinity School. She was on a podcast. She's brilliant, funny, great, great talk. She talked about blessing. And anyway, one little thing that she said, she said, I believe that Jesus is up to something in the world. He's saving the world, but he's not always doing it on my time or in my body. Okay? You know what she's saying by that is God is doing something macro. He's saving the world because the word salvation and healing go together. He's healing the world. But sometimes he doesn't do it on the timeline I want. and He doesn't always do it in the body I'm living in. And I just said a mouthful there for you because sometimes when we're not at our best as a church, and I mean the uppercase capital C church, we expect God to do things when we want him to do them And we want him to do certain things that we say are important to us now. And God says, trust and obey. 
trust and obey. You feel like you're at a dead end? Just watch me open up the Dead Sea or the Red Sea. You watch me do something for you. And if by chance we breathe our last and things don't work out like John the Baptist, guess what? There's more to this life than just this life. I've said this many times at King Street, and I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you right now, but sometimes we need to challenge our view of heaven. Sometimes we say, heaven's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I just don't want to go there. Right? I don't want to go there. I want to live here. This is better than there. It's like, do we really believe that to be true? Do you think heaven's going to be awesome? So I'm conflicted because I've got two daughters, and I don't know if it'll be God's will that I have grandkids one day, but if it is, I'd love to see them, right? Anybody here want to live longer in the world? A few of you do. Others, are you ready to die tonight? And that's okay, whatever. <laughs> life is awesome. It can be hard, but life is a tremendous gift. It's a sacred, beautiful opportunity, right? When we're healthy, we want to keep living. We have a life instinct about us. If we got thrown in the deep end and we couldn't swim, what would we do? We'd be flailing our arms because we want to live. That's, that's what God has put inside of us, and that's a wonderful thing. And at the same time, what's been going over my heart lately on my walks is to live as Christ and to die is... Say that with me a little louder. To live as Christ, to die is... It's an upgrade. Heaven is an upgrade. When we cross over the threshold, as painful and as hard as that will be for us, when it's our time, we need to hold tightly to this idea that there is more that the best is yet to come. I remember reading once about this guy who wanted to be buried and have him you know, in his coffin with a fork in his hand. And he wanted everybody to walk by and say, why does he have a fork in his hand? And have his family say, because he always believed that you'd hold your fork when it was time for dessert and the best was always yet to come. I like that. The best is always yet to come. And so, uh, where was I going with that? Did I have anything to do with the sermon? I'm not sure. Um, see, that's what happens when a pastor talks about trusting and obeying. Next thing you know, we're talking about heaven. All right, trust and obey, it leads us to great places, right? If you do this for the rest of your life, just trust, then obey. Trust and obey, imperfectly. No one does it perfectly. We just do the next right thing the best we can, and when we don't, we say, God, I didn't do the next right thing. Help me with that. And mid-course corrections, on-ramps, they're all there. That's what grace is about. We all get more on-ramps. You're never gonna exhaust the on-ramps of God. He's always got another path to get you back onto the road. Uh, if we've exited prematurely or gone the wrong way, God is always, he delights to bring you back. That's what Eden's all about. This first man, this woman, first woman mess up. And what does he do? He says, I got a promise for you. Chapter three, verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head because I can't stand to be separated from the ones that I love. God's always working to bring us back to the path we're supposed to be on so we can trust him. If we build a life of that, that leads to the uninterrupted presence of God for all eternity. And like I say here so often, you don't want to miss it. All right, instead of living independently, Eden teaches us trust and obey God. Secondly, instead of hiding, because this is what they did, right? The first man, the first woman, they hid themselves from God. They covered themselves Instead, choose vulnerability and self-disclosure. Boy, that's a hard thing. Vulnerability and self-disclosure, saying this is who I am. 
I don't need to hide. I don't need to pretend. When we are in vibrant, flourishing human relationships, you know what happens? You can be your 100% self. You don't have to pretend. The pretense can go away. I don't have to posture myself. I don't have to impress you. Thanks be to God. I don't have to impress Pia anymore. I did that for a bunch of years. Then she said yes. I said, okay, good. I don't have to brush my teeth anymore and all that. (laughs) Just kidding. Right? We're at our best for the ones we love, but we don't have to impress and sort of some way to say, if I don't always do it right, she's going to give up on me. No. She sees me at my worst, loves me anyway. That's what we're supposed to be, right? A picture of Christ and his church. Jesus doesn't run around divorcing his people when we're not at our best. He has made covenant with us. He's adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. We belong to him, and he will not cut us loose. And so we can self-disclose. We can be vulnerable. That's what a mutually, deeply satisfying relationship is all about, is being connected. And so we can drop the covering, so to speak. Thirdly, instead of blaming others, take legitimate and appropriate responsibility. There's always something that I can look for to say, that's on me. Uh, When I say appropriate, sometimes we shouldn't be apologizing for everything because it's not on us. But when it is, we should move in that direction. And we should be looking on the lookout to say, what is it I can take responsibility for? And, uh, and so we, we should be the kinds of people who don't blame others. That was what was problematic for the first man, the first woman, right? You put her here. That serpent, it's, everybody's passing the blame. And when relationships get stuck in that, it's not me, it's you kind of thing, it's a real problem. All right, so that's uh, movement number one. What does lost Eden glory teach us about human flourishing and healthy relationships? Those three big ideas. Here's the last one, movement two. With Eden glory in mind, what does purposeful pragmatism look like when building relationships that flourish? Okay, so now we're going to get really, really practical, and I'm going to move fairly quickly. Um, But a strong and compelling vision for the future which keeps us anchored in the present moment, is best fueled by healthy understanding of our original design. That's where we just came from, looking back into the Eden temple glory. But there are mysteries in life, right? Um, People smarter than me talk about why is it that two people uh, can make a marriage or a relationship last for a lifetime? And uh, there are a lot of intangibles around that one, and there's a lot of hard work that makes that possible. But Solomon was scratching his head too. Proverbs 30, verse 18. There are three things, he says, that are too amazing for me. Four, he says, that I don't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. Solomon is one of the wisest people who've ever lived. And he says, I don't get how that eagle can soar in the sky above. The way of a snake on a rock. I don't see any legs. I don't see any feet. And it slithers along the rock. How does it keep moving like that? The way of a ship on the high seas. Solomon didn't understand it. Such weight. You see these cruise ships out there across the Mediterranean, and people smarter than me know how it works, but it's like, how does that large, heavy uh, boat stay above the water? And then he says, he includes this one, the way of a man with a young woman. He says, how does a man and a woman get along for the rest of their lives? How do they pull that off? These three things over here, they're head scratchers, but this one, how can they do it? They're so different. And those who've been married for decades, been in relationships for a long, long time, can talk about how it has been a challenge on occasion. I don't want any shows of hands today, but you know that, don't you? There can be moments. 
P and I are at about 20, what is it, 27, 28 years? <laughs> a long time anyway. And there have been moments when it's been hard. There have been moments when it's been hard. And uh, I've never understood why it was so hard, uh, but, but Pia says it's been hard on occasion. Um, <laughs> any relationship is going to go through some, some challenging times. And, uh, and if we pretend that we're not going through them, we do a disservice to our children and grandchildren and to our friends. Uh, we don't have to spill the beans on why it was so hard, but we can be honest enough to say there were some tough points along the way. We made it, but we were up against the ropes on a few occasions. Isn't that human? I remember listening to a pastor once. He's a good guy. He was in his 60s at the time, and I was a young youth pastor. And he said publicly, my wife and I have never had a fight. And I was like, are you kidding me? You've never had a fight, ever? We must have very different definitions of what a fight is then, because uh, I can't imagine two people not having some spirited disagreements. B and I call them spirited disagreements, where we just see something differently than the other. And is it okay that we see something different than the other? Yes. Christians don't have perfect marriages. We don't have perfect families. We fight for what's best. We do it with humility and hopefully with a sense of uh, a postured heart so that we can learn and get better. And um, yeah, we do a disservice when we don't tell people that it can be hard. And so when people get married, we say, you're stepping into a challenging life, but there's nothing else I'd rather do. Right? Those of us who are in marriage relationships, yes, it's hard, but you, would you want anything different? It's like, no, I, I, I want to fight for this relationship. I want to make this work. That's, that's the ideal, right? And then we've been talking about the real, too. There's times when we just say, yeah, but there's just too much, and you fill in the blank, and that happens in life as well. All right, I've got six points for you. See, this is the trick about doing a two-point sermon. I said, I got a two-point sermon. I got three under the first one. Then I got six under the second one. And psychologically, you're saying, this is so great. Pastor's keeping things moving and all that. Yeah, he's got about 10 points, actually, he's working through. I promise to move quickly. All right, so we're going to talk about what separates the the masters of relationship from the disasters of relationship. And this is John Gottman again, and I got to give him full credit for this. So uh, here they are, and I'm all kidding aside, I'm going to move really quickly. We're about to land this teaching. Here are six big ideas. They're in your digital notes. You can look at them later. This is the, the good thing about looking at the YouVersion Bible app. You can save those notes and review them at another time. And so here's the, the first of six. Choose to know one another. And this one's vulnerability. We talked about that already. Disclosure is at the heart of knowing someone else. If we are always self-protecting and, and never willing to open up, that will be the degree to which we feel connected. Um, somebody once said, you know the word intimacy? The best way to understand intimacy is into me see. Did you like that one? I like that one. Into me see. In other words, if we're going to have intimacy, I got to let you see me. If I don't let you see me, I can't feel connected. Into me see. That is a simple way of understanding intimacy. We have to take a risk at some point along the way and let the other in. So choose to know one another and vulnerability is associated with that. Secondly, cultivate your friendship. Uh, Shared experiences are huge. Um, Companionship is at the heart of the one flesh relationship. It's at the heart of all friendships. Um, Lydia Denworth has shared this in a book that she wrote. It takes between 40 and 60 hours to move from an acquaintance to a casual friendship, 40 to 60 hours, from 80 to 100 hours to call someone a friend. 
So you got to go about 100 hours before you're, you're, you're saying you and I are friends. Um, and then over 200 hours of togetherness before someone rates as a very close friend. But here's what I love. This is what she says. When time is limited, our relationships are too. If we don't spend a lot of time together in shared experience, we will place a glass lid over our relational connection. And so it has to be that shared experience is at the heart of what it means to truly be connected. So cultivate your friendship. I would just say this as well. Um, every relationship's different. Our personalities are different. The culture of our homes are different. Um, but I would, I would recommend this. And there's going to be a continuum of, of whereby we invite other people into our relational worlds. I think it's good for, for couples to have shared friendships and even the individuals within a marriage relationship to have outside friends. That's, I think that's really, really helpful to have people that we can go to to replenish and connect with. But I would say this to you. It's really, really important and I'm speaking to married couples now, or those who are in romantic relationships. If you're going to keep the relationship strong, you have to have uninterrupted times of exclusive connection just between you and your spouse. If you are always on the go and you are always with other people and you don't have time for just the two of you, you will miss opportunities to connect at a deeper level and perhaps worse, you may drift away. And so it's very, very important that we establish time for exclusive connection just between the two of you or the two of us. Uh, thirdly, this is a whole talk in its own, so I've got to be really quickly. Turn toward one another and not against or not away. Turn toward one another. So again, John Gottman is brilliant in this area of, of uh, marriage relationships or relationships in general. This can be friendships, work relationships. We make bids all the time. So here's what he says when, when he talks about making a bid. Um, I can say, I can say to Kirk over there, I can say, Kirk, um, uh, I know you and I love dogs. And, and I would say, um, did you see that beautiful brown lab walking down the street? And if Kirk says to me, yeah, did you see that beauty? What a beautiful dog. Awesome. He reached back. He turned toward me rather than turning the channel and talking about the Leafs game. You watch married couples specifically, and this is what John and Julie Gottman did for years and years in their love lab in Seattle, you just watch the way they turn toward. If somebody makes a bid and the other person ignores them, they turn away, it's a symptom of an emotional challenge in the relationship. Healthy marriages or healthy relationships, people make consistent bids and people turn toward, they respond. It's like they turn, they return the ball like they're playing tennis. They return the ball, they keep it going. Rather than turning the channel, or turning against or away from the person. And so really, really important to think about the bids that we make and how we turn toward each other. Um, I've got a couple more here, three actually. Uh, stay humble and share decision-making power. Uh, it's really, really important that if we remain humble, we share decision-making power, then we can keep those four horsemen galloping somewhere else. But uh, when, when somebody says, it's my it's my. Uh, remote <laughs> for the TV. Uh, all the decision-making power is in my hand. I get to choose. You're just coming for the ride. That, that's really problematic. So share decision-making power. Stay, stay humble. And uh, this is a big one too. Number five, solve solvable problems. And the remainder of them, just accept them. That's more art than science. Try to solve problems all the time the best you can, but at the end of the day, realize this. There are some problems we can't solve, and what might some of those be? I wish I didn't have this health concern. I've tried A, B, C, D, and E, and I've gone right through the alphabet, and I can't resolve the issue. 
Okay, then we're going to have to accept it. This is a limiting factor. I'm watching my uncle right now love his wife in ways that are so inspiring. It's so beautiful to watch him love my aunt. Um, And she has been struggling for years. And he is showing our family what it means to make a marriage promise and say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Some problems we can solve, some we can't. And when we can't, we just choose to accept. And then finally, here's the last one just before Pastor Gary comes back. Build a rich inner life of purpose together. A rich inner life of purpose together. It means that out of the Eden, the garden, the well-watered garden, and out of the tabernacle of God flows a beautiful spring that is not intended to just bless me, but intended to bless others that I am in relationship with. And so we develop a very strong, vibrant, rich inner life of purpose. And we could call it spirituality. But it's where we put first things first. It's where the compass finds true north. And it's this is the direction I'm going and we're going together. And that rich inner life will serve you incredibly well. So Eden, temple, and strengthening our relationships. We start with places of delight, the sanctuary of God right here. So just before we finish today, how is the sanctuary these days? How are the the furnishings on the inner temple? Are they, have they been kept up? Do they need some maintenance? Have you carved out, as uh, Richard Foster says, my heart is the Father's home? How are the furnishings? Everything arranged according to his delight? Are you allowing him to make your soul a well-watered garden, a place of paradise? From beginning to end, we have Eden, we have the tabernacle, and we have Jesus with the criminal who's dying. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. We've come from God. We are returning to God. And thanks be to God that Jesus makes our transition from this life into the world to come a beautiful adventure with God. And everything that happens in the middle has a lot to do with relationships. And uh, may we be containers of God's rich glory and may it show up in our relationships. Lord, I pray for my friends today just before Pastor Gary comes back that you would help us to cultivate a place of delight inside our person. May the soul, the spirit, the mind find great delight in God. And Lord, would you help us to go back, to be present, and then to anticipate what's coming next, all with an eye recognizing that you are with us. You have come to make your home in our hearts, God, and you want us to flourish. We were made to flourish. Lord, for some today who are not flourishing, they are failing to flourish. Not that they're failing necessarily, but flourishing is not their experience, or it feels so elusive to them. Lord, we pray for the grace of God. We pray for the strength of the Spirit. We pray for the goodness of God to come and overshadow each one, to remind them that they are loved, that you have designs and purposes, that there are no straight lines on this journey we call life, but there are ups and downs, twists and turns, ditches along the way. Thank you, Lord, for the off-ramps and the on-ramps. You give us the freedom to choose, and you call us back. Lord, for the one today who needs to take inventory of their own soul and to adjust some of the furnishings of the inner temple, we pray, God, that you would help us 
to be well furnished so that we can bring you delight and so that our relationships can be all that they were intended to be. Friendships, co-worker relationships, the marriage relationship, whatever that looks like, God, for where we find ourselves today. We need your help. Come and lead us and guide us as our wonderful counselor. And we pray all of this in Jesus' awesome, saving, healing name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Gary.